DJ, how are you? Hello, welcome. Uh, my name uh, is Michael. Uh, glad you are here on this uh, uh, Easter uh, celebration. Uh, what you're seeing up on the screens will kind of flip uh, back and forth between, but uh, uh, this past Friday evening, uh, we were able to do some uh, artwork. I think you potentially may have seen it as you walked in, but um, uh, Carolyn is back there and she's uh, doing some chalk art, chalk drawing of uh, Easter morning. And so you'll be able to see this uh, picture unfold uh, as we go through our service. As Rob mentioned, our kids are going to be in here the whole day, or, okay, not the whole day, just the next, you know, half hour or so. Um, so if it gets a little loud, that's okay. We really wanted for our very first Easter celebration as a brand new church uh, to get everyone in here. So if it gets a little crazy, that's okay. Uh, we've given them some gifts to distract them uh, with coloring pages, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that will help. Um, well, it's Easter, Easter morning, and uh, really uh, the heart of why we're here specifically today, why we set aside April 4th, um, is to celebrate one truth, one amazing truth, one amazing reality, that Jesus Christ is alive. That uh, there were some women uh, who showed up uh, at a tomb to care for and take care of Jesus' dead body. And something amazing happened. They came to the tomb and they discovered that a stone had been rolled away, and they entered into the tomb, and there was no body there. So this morning, we're celebrating uh, the truth and the amazing gospel good news that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, as I say that, um, I'm guessing, I don't want to box people in, so to speak, but I guarantee there's people here this morning that hear that news, that gospel news, that Jesus is alive, and they say, absolutely, amen, I celebrate that, I believe that, I'm on board with that, uh, that Jesus Christ is, in fact, alive. You believe it. It's actually changed you, transformed you. It's making a difference, not a one-time difference, but a difference in your life. So there might be some, maybe even a lot of us here today, that hear Jesus is alive, and we say yes. But I also realize that there might be some people here today that hear this Jesus is alive, and you're a bit skeptical. You're a bit skeptical of the story, and you know, that's just a story some people made up, and uh, over the last 2,000 years, a couple billion people uh, have found comfort, have found hope, have found love, have found joy, have found peace in that story. But I'm not buying it. It's crazy. The man was dead, but then three days later, he's alive. So I realize that there might be some people here today that maybe doubt the reality that Jesus, in fact, is alive or are skeptical of this story uh, that has launched the Christian movement, that launched the church. So this morning, I'm going to be pretty brief. And for those of you who know me well, I'm actually going to be pretty brief because I just want to ask two questions. Usually it's like 50 Today, I just wanted to ask two questions, and the question is this. Question number one, if you're kind of in that first camp, you believe that Jesus is in fact alive, I just want you to wrestle with, so what? What difference should that make, not just in my life today, but in my life tomorrow? So what? So if Jesus is alive, how should that change or influence or impact how I go to work tomorrow? how I relate and connect with my husband or my wife, or how I treat people. Like, so what? And so I want to answer that question of, why does the resurrection 
meaning Jesus is alive, why should that make a difference in who I am, who I'm becoming, and how I interact with God and how I interact with the world around me? A second question, and I'm going to cover that one later. I'm going to cover this first question, the second question actually first. And the second question would be, if you're in that second camp, you struggle, you're, you're skeptical. It's a good story, just like Easter Bunny is a good story, just like Santa Claus is a good story, but it's just a story. That's all it is. So if you're in that camp and you say, you know what, it's cool if other people believe that, but it's just not for me. I kind of grew up with the mindset and heard of this talked about a lot is Christianity is basically just a crutch for weak people. That, yeah, if you need a story like that to make yourself feel better about you, that's fine. You're just a weak person. And it was the strong people who were the cynics and critics and those who would hear the Easter story and be like, yeah, that's just not for me. I don't need that. But the reality is, if you're in that camp and you say that, no, Jesus is not alive I'm cool with what he said and what he did, but he's dead. He's not alive. You can't just walk away from and say, well, I just don't believe it, so therefore I can move on with my life. There was Leo uh, Tolstoy, uh, an author, you may have heard of him, uh, came to grips with this question late in life. And it was a question that he asked himself. And it was a question that almost drew, drew him to suicide, to death. And he said this, my question that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man. He came to grips with this question, and it's not just a question for him. He identified this is a question that every man, every woman, if you're human, you have to wrestle with. A question without an answer to which one cannot live. If you don't have an answer to this question, This is what brought him to the brink of suicide. If I can't have an answer, there is no point in living. He says this, What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why should should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed like this. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death waiting me does not destroy. To sum that up, is there any hope in this life? Or is the only hope is that one day it will end and I will die? He was asking a core question that humanity must have an answer for. Is there meaning in my existence? This is a question you have to, I don't have to convince anyone in here that at some point, Someday, we will all die. And a question we have to ask, what next? What happens after I die? If you say, well, if there is life beyond death, and you say, yes, there is life beyond death, then you have to have an answer of, where does that hope come from? Meaning, how do I conquer death? How do I find meaning in this existence that I have now? If you say, no, that there is no life after death, then you have to answer, I think, a pretty tough question of why are we even here? If there's no hope after death, then what hope is there in life? What's the point of living? What's the point of loving? What's the point of doing anything if it means absolutely nothing? 
You'll be here for a few years, you die, and then you cease to exist. I can understand why this would drive someone to the point, to the brink of, if I don't have an answer for why I exist and I don't have an answer for is there life after death, then what's the point? What's the point of living? There's another philosopher, uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, and he said this about Jesus and his resurrection. He said this, If he did not rise from the dead, then he decomposed in the grave like any other man. He is dead and decomposed. In that case, he's a teacher like any other and can no longer help. And once more, we are orphaned and alone. So we have to content ourselves with wisdom and speculation. We are in sort of hell where we can do nothing but dream I like how he writes this, roofed in, as it were, and cut off from heaven. If Jesus, in fact, is dead, his body decomposed. And he, this philosopher, came to the conclusion of we are roofed in, as it were, and we are cut off from heaven. I mentioned this earlier, a few minutes ago, but some would say, all right, Jesus was a good guy. He said some good things. I mean, the last nine months, our church has been walking through his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about not hating people, but loving people. He's talking about how you can have a good and a healthy marriage and healthy relationships with God and with people. Most people would not argue that Jesus was a terrible teacher. They'd say, actually, he was a good teacher. But this is not about what Jesus said. This is about the resurrection. There's an author named uh, Tim Keller I wrote a great book called The Reason uh, for God. And he said this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what he said? Who cares? If he didn't rise from the dead, why pay attention to him? He's just another teacher. That's it. He's just another dead teacher. But he goes on to say the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. There's a a man called Thomas, and he's been affectionately coined Doubting Thomas. I love Thomas. He spent three years of his life with Jesus. He heard what Jesus said. He, He interacted with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He saw the most amazing things that Jesus, the most amazing miracles But when it came time to accept or embrace the resurrection, Thomas said, not possible. And this is actually what Scripture says of Thomas in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. His friends came to him and said, Thomas, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. We've interacted with him. You just weren't here in the room when he showed up. He wasn't there. I've always asked the question, well, where was Thomas? I have a feeling Thomas thought the game was over. The game ended Friday night when they killed him. And he's like, man, the last three years were for what? And so this is Thomas's response. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I'm guessing that there might be some here today can resonate with Thomas. 
I like this guy, you might say. If Jesus shows up right now, and I can put my hands right where the um, nail marks were, and I can touch, I can embrace, I can physically see him, you would declare, then I will believe. One week went by, and I wonder what that week was like for Thomas. His friends trying to, Thomas, he's really alive. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And I love Jesus because he showed up for Thomas. And next week, one, fast forward one week, in John chapter 20, the next few verses. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. So he addresses the crowd, don't be freaked out, it's Jesus. So peace be with you, be still, be calm, it's okay. And then he looks at Thomas. His eyes hone in on Thomas, and he says this. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. This was Jesus' challenge, his charge to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. There will have to come a point in time. If you're in that second camp of the skeptic, it's just a story. I pray and I hope that this would be the day that you hear God say to you, stop doubting and believe. And this was the most profound, most bold declaration uh, by any of the disciples in the New Testament. He goes on in verse 28. This was Thomas' response. Thomas said to him, being Jesus, my Lord and my God. He looks at Jesus a resurrected Jesus, a Jesus who is alive, and he says, my Lord, my sovereign, and my God. That was his confession of, you, Jesus, are in fact my God. I'm guessing, like I've said, that maybe there's some Thomas here today, that there's some doubt, there's some skepticism, cynicism. It's just been a story that you hear. My prayer for you today is that as we would read a few verses of what the women found when they came to the tomb, that you would not only hear the story, but that you would actually meet Jesus in this place today. Jesus absolutely knows the condition of your heart. He knows where you're at, and he can meet you in this place. I firmly believe that. I believe that because I believe he's alive. If he was dead, I would not say that. But because he's alive, he can meet you exactly where you're at. Another author, teacher, philosopher wrote a book called Pluralistic Universe. His name was William James. And he said this, We may be in the universe as dogs and cats are in our libraries, seeing the books and hearing the conversation, but having no inkling of the meaning of it all. It would be a tragedy to go through life not knowing the meaning of it all, to hear the conversation going on around you, to see the creation around you and not have an answer, not know the meaning of it all. Why Jesus being alive is so crucial is because if Jesus was not alive, I would have no meaning in my existence. 
I bank everything like the New Testament scholars and authors and writers. If Jesus is not alive, I don't have an answer for life. I don't have an answer for death. But because Jesus is alive, I have confidence that I can live because he's alive. I want to pray. I'm going to walk through a few verses in the Gospel of Luke. If you're here today, you believe the story. It's been a story you've heard since you were a young child, maybe. My challenge, my prayer for you is that you would live very differently because of the truth reality that Jesus is alive. And if you're here today and it's just been a story, you're a skeptic or you've doubted, you've been cynical, my prayer is that in this next remaining few moments that you would encounter a Jesus who is alive and you would hear him say, stop doubting and believe. Stop hanging on to this. Stop hanging on to this and just trust and believe that I'm alive, therefore you can be alive as well. Father God, we just thank you so much for the time we've already had. God, we thank you so much that we can celebrate in this place today what the Bible boldly declares, that Jesus Christ is alive. God, I pray for those who know that story, have heard that story, and even believe that story. God, our lives would be so radically different because of this truth that Jesus is alive. And God, conversely, if there's anyone here, whether it's just one person or more, that is just at best skeptical that this is just a story. God, I pray that today they would encounter you, Jesus. Jesus, you loved and cared enough to come to Thomas. And God, if there's any Thomas types here today that have doubted or been skeptical, I pray that this would be the day they choose to stop doubting and the day they say, I believe, and make that confession much like Thomas did, that Jesus, you are Lord, and Jesus, you are God. I pray that in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, um, open up to uh, uh, the story in the Gospel of Luke. This is uh, Luke chapter 24. And the story is, uh, Jesus was crucified on Friday, was placed into a tomb, and on Sunday uh, is when some women went to care for Jesus' body. So Luke chapter 24 On the first day of the week, that means Sunday. If you've ever wondered why churches have worship services on Sunday, that's the first day of the week, and that's the day that we celebrate that the tomb was empty. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. It's interesting. I don't think these women were going thinking, I I, I bet the tomb's going to be empty. They went with spices in hand to love Jesus' dead body. They went with spices to care for Jesus' dead body. I don't know if you, how many people have been to a graveside service? Raise your hand. Okay, most of us, right? Did you ever go to a graveside service thinking, it's, it's a good chance that he's going to be alive and the tomb's going to be, or the casket's going to be empty? I've I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of graveside services. I've never had that expectation that I'm going to pull up and the casket is going to be miraculously emptied. So I can relate with these women that they just didn't have a category 
that Jesus somehow would be alive. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Okay, they arrive and they see this big, it would be much like a cave with a rock, a big rock rolled in front of it and it's rolled back. You ever see one of those, you watch a scary movie and you know something bad is inside and you're like telling the actor, do not go in there, it will not go well for you. This is a scary moment, there's a tomb that's supposed to be sealed, it's not like maybe turn and go the other way. These women, they're pretty bold and courageous. They see the stone rolled away, but when they entered, I love that they entered the tomb. It says this, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What on earth, if you were them, would you be thinking? I mean, what kind of thoughts? Who stole Jesus? Where did he go? Do we have the wrong tomb? Our GPS took us here. Where is he? I can't even fathom what would be running through their minds. And it goes on and says, while they were wondering about this, and I don't think they were wondering, like, it's a good chance he's alive. They're the first responders, which means they'll have to give the explanation. And they're going to go back to a group of men, the 11 disciples, and tell them, uh, guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, the tomb is empty. We don't know where Jesus is. Well, what did you? We didn't do anything. We just went there. I'm thinking that they're wondering about how are we possibly going to explain this empty tomb. Suddenly, Two men in clothes that gleaned like lightning stood beside them. Okay, they've got a tomb that's open. They've got a tomb that they've entered, a body that's missing, as if this was not already a freaky enough Sunday morning, and it's already early. All of a sudden, two angels appear to these women. And this is the question. It's a phenomenal question that they ask him, ask these women. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, this is a great question, why do you look for the living among the dead? Just sit with that question for a second. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I think their response would have been, well, we're actually looking for the dead. We didn't come here looking for the living. What are you talking about, angels? We're looking for the dead. And I think the angels are saying, if you're looking for Jesus, the living, he is not here amongst the dead. I've seen this in my own life, where I seek out and I search for life among things that do not give me life? This is a question I just want you to wrestle with. Where do we look for life? Where do we search out life? For some, it's as generic as my career, as generic as if I can have this boyfriend or girlfriend or this relationship, or if I can get recognized or noticed. We pursue life where there is no life. It actually, those things suck life out of us. This is such a phenomenal question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then I think probably the most 
eight profound words in Scripture start at verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. Just want you to sit with that. These women have no clue what's going on. These angels appear, ask a, a, a question that certainly stumped them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then the angels say, he is not here. Eight of the most profound words in scripture. And if you're counting, that's only seven. I'll get my math right in a second. Seven words. He is not here. He has risen. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time? I was there. I saw him get beat to a pulp. He was a bloody mess. I saw them beat him, whip him, mock him, spit on him, punch him. I saw them flog him. I saw a Jesus who was not even recognizable. And then they took him and put him, carried him, made him carry a cross, put him on a cross, nailed him to it. I was there. I saw it. I was an eyewitness to his death. Don't tell me that the man that I just saw brutally murdered is alive. Can you imagine hearing that? Are you tricking with me? Are you messing with my mind? Don't mess with me. This was a, a man that we loved, we listened to, we followed. We supported, we encouraged. We were with him. Do not trick me on this. The angel said, he's not here. He has risen. The eighth word from the angel is so crucial. The angel says this. Verse uh, five, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. The eighth word is this, remember. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. And then verse eight, and then they remembered what Jesus had said. In the face of his death, they got real forgetful. It took an appearance of some angels to come and remind them. Would you remember Jesus spoke plainly. Jesus spoke clearly about his death. He told his disciples on numerous occasions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guys, I will be handed over into the religious leaders' hands. They will mock me, spit on me. They will flog me. Ultimately, they will kill me. But Jesus said, but I will be back. I will rise again on the third day. It was not just a one-off time Jesus said that. He said that numerous times throughout the Gospels. And I'm so thankful the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. Remember, he told you that. Remember that he spoke of that been thinking a lot about these seven words with the eighth being remember of he is not here, he has risen. Remember that Jesus said he was going to do this. The question I've been thinking to myself about is what if that was not there? What if those angels did not appear? What if they did not preach that message that Jesus is alive, he's not here, he's risen? What if Jesus ultimately never resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul asks this very question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
I'll just read a few verses. Starting at verse 14, and then I'll skip to 17 through 19. And if Christ has not been raised our preaching, the conversation that Paul is having with this church is, we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You're preaching that Jesus is resurrected. We don't understand that. We don't get that. So Paul is trying to convince them of the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Imagine hearing that, like if Jesus is really dead, what are you doing here today? We've tried to put on a pretty nice brunch, but there are some better places, probably have nicer brunches that you could have gone to. If Jesus is not alive, why are you here? Why would you even place your faith in a dead person? He goes on to say in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, meaning died, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Meaning if you're really placing, you're banking everything, your entire existence, that life after death is in a dead person, you are to be pitied. He says specifically, if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is useless, you're still in your sins, meaning you're not forgiven, meaning you don't have peace with God. And then he goes on to say, and those who died believing in Jesus, wow, bummer for them because they're still lost. And he goes on one more time and just says this, we are to be pitied more than all men. The world should look at us and say, we feel really bad for you. You're so misled. Jesus is dead. Mark Driscoll is a pastor and um, author, and he's got a new book called Doctrine that just came out a few days ago. And he said this about the resurrection. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sins, and no hope of a resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man, and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. Meaning if Jesus, he will be of no help to you. He can't make you right with God. He can't offer you life after death if Jesus is in fact dead. He goes on to say, plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible and their hope for a resurrection life after this life is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. If Jesus is in fact dead and decomposed, we are to be pitied. But the message that transformed guys like Thomas, transformed these women, transformed the disciples, shaped and informed and influenced the birth of the church was this one truth and reality. He's not here. He has risen. He is alive. It's amazing that prior to Jesus' death, they denied him. They deserted him. They, they all left. But after Jesus' resurrection, they couldn't stop talking about him. They could not get enough. When he was living, they quarreled and they fought, jockeying for position of who's going to be closest and next in line to Jesus. And when it came time to stand with Jesus, they all bailed, all of them. 
But after Jesus appeared to them, they could not stop talking about the resurrection, that he was alive. Go back to the graveyard services that you've been to. How many people do you think you would tell if you went to a graveside service tomorrow and the guy or the man or the woman who had died suddenly resurrected? Is that something that you would keep to yourself? Or is that something you would tell, you're not going to believe what just happened? I know you'll think me a fool to say this, but I was there. They were dead, and I went, and they were alive. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. I'll finish with why the resurrection matters. I've challenged those, I hope, enough to know that if you just say it's a, a cleverly invented story that stood the test of time, you have to wrestle with the meaning of your existence. You have to wrestle with what, if there is no hope in death, what hope is there in life? That's something you have to wrestle with. You have to have an answer for what is the meaning of my existence? Forget the name of the historian I was reading recently who talked about in 21 centuries, this century of Western culture is amongst the first of our cultures that has not taught its citizens of the culture to wrestle with this question of what is the meaning of my existence? Every culture that has gone before us has forced its citizens to wrestle with why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? But we live in a culture and a time that says it's not that important. It's just not that important. It is. I'll finish with three very quick things. If you believe that Jesus is alive, this is the difference that the resurrection that a living Jesus makes. It changes your relationship with God forever, starting today and throughout eternity. I love how Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says it like this. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Because Jesus is alive, I stand justified, made right with God. Jesus' resurrection changes my relationship with God in that I can have a relationship with God, both now and for eternity. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. I love that. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He will raise us also. This is Jesus talking. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Someone who tasted death, experienced death, but was resurrected to life is saying, if you believe in me, you will have life. Second Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. And this is another great promise from Jesus in the Gospel of John. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. If I were to die today, and I'm standing in front of God, and he says, Michael, why, why should I let you into heaven? I'm not sure if that's exactly how it's going to go, but work with me here. I could either stand before God and say, well, man, I worked hard. I was a good person. I did a bunch of good things, gave some money away, was nice to people, tried to be nice to people. You know, I was generally an okay guy. 
If I tried to flex my spiritual muscles in front of God, he would laugh. So I won't do that. If I stand before God this day, Michael, why? I just say, Jesus, your son, he is alive. I put my hope, my faith, my trust in him. Because of that, God says, you're my son. It changes our relationship with God. The second thing is it changes our relationship with myself. Meaning if Jesus is alive and I believe with all my heart he is, I can't go on living my life as I want to live my life. Meaning I can't make my life about me. I'm not at the center. Jesus is. Paul says this in Romans 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I can't claim that Jesus is alive and then just go off and do my own thing because I ultimately I don't really believe that he's alive because if I did, my entire life would radically change around one truth that this man was brutally murdered, was brought back to life by God the Father. My life would be centered around him. Every decision, every action, reaction would be informed by Jesus at the center, core of who I am. I cannot claim that Jesus is alive and just go do my own thing. It doesn't work. You don't believe that Jesus is alive if you're just doing your own thing. That might be hard to hear, but don't claim that Jesus is alive, you really believe it, and then still make life about you at the center. It just doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. Philippians says this, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is coming from Paul, who was a murderer of early Christians. He could not stand Jesus, and he could not stand the church, and he could not stand Christians. He tried to persecute the church from ever getting going. But he met Jesus, and his life was changed. He became the greatest champion of the cause of Christianity, of the church. He says, for to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm living, it's about Jesus. If I'm dying, I'm with Jesus. Either way, it's a win-win. I get Jesus either way I go. If I'm living, I'm making it about him. If I'm dying, I'm with him. Changes our relationship with God. It changes our relationship with ourselves. And it changes our relationship with one another. Paul used to breathe murderous threats to Christians but then he became a great champion, and he says this in 2 Corinthians. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And we died for all, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I said Jesus' resurrection changes your relationship with God, changes your relationship with yourself, meaning you don't make it about you. And then thirdly, it changes your relationship with people. So he says, if Jesus, if you really believe he died and was brought back to life, I love at the end, he just says that you just, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And then he goes on to say, next few verses, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us, meaning he's given us a mission. He's given us a message, and it's the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. I love Paul's language. We implore you. We implore you. I'm begging you. God has reconciled me to himself because of Jesus. His mission, his message is telling the people, I'm begging you, I implore you, get right with God. Don't try to become this religious person. Become a person who's got a relationship with God because Jesus is alive. I implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The mission and the message was identical. Tell people that Jesus is alive, that your relationship with God is forever changed. Your sins are completely forgiven. You are justified before God because of Jesus. Your relationship with yourself is transformed in that you're not making much of you anymore. You're making much of the one who's alive. And then thirdly, you have a mission and you have a message. Tell people that Jesus is alive. Beg them, implore them, convince them, cry with them. Be reconciled with God, to God, through Jesus who is alive. It's two people, some who say, I'm on board, I believe that. I just want to ask that question. If that's you, if you believe that Jesus is alive here today, is that your gospel? Second Timothy, Paul says this, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. I know my good news. I know my gospel, Paul said. Jesus was killed, but he's alive. I will suffer whatever comes my way because Jesus is alive. This is my gospel. I'm convinced of this. If you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is in fact alive, raised from the dead, this is your gospel. This is your mission. This is your message. This is what we implore people with. Be reconciled to God. He loves you. He cares about you. He demonstrated that in his son, Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. You can have eternal life. This is our mission and message. If you don't believe that today, if you're here and you're like, you know what? It's just a story. I just want you to know Jesus still loves you. No matter where your heart is, whether it's still just rebellious against this or hard-hearted toward it or just indifferent toward it, whatever it might be, I just want you to know, I want you to hear someone tell you on Easter that Jesus still loves you. Jesus still died for you. And just because you don't believe he's alive doesn't mean or change the fact that Jesus is still alive for you, calling you to a right relationship with him. On this Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2010, I would beg you, I would implore you, if you are not reconciled to God through Jesus, he is alive. He conquered death. My sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. I have peace with God because Jesus is alive. If you do not know that or believe that, declare this for yourself today. Pull a Thomas. 
Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God. We're going to celebrate uh, communion. And if you believe that Jesus is alive, I want you to come. You don't have to run up, but uh, I want you to come with some enthusiasm and some excitement and say, Jesus, thank you that I'm not celebrating just your death, I'm celebrating your resurrection, that you are alive and I give thanks that my sins are forgiven, I have eternal life, I'm a son or daughter of the living God and I have eternal life. Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice and say, Jesus Christ, thank you. You are my Lord, you are my God. And if you're not in that place today, I one more time implore you Be reconciled to God. Come up here today and as a prayer, say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as God. I believe that you are in fact alive. Father God, thank you so much that we don't celebrate, we don't worship, we don't talk about a Savior who is dead. That we talk about a Savior who is alive. Jesus, for those that are here today that believe that, know that, own that, agree with that, God, I pray that we would live so differently in how we relate with you, how we relate with ourselves, and how we relate with the community, the culture around us. You've given us this gospel, this good news, a mission and a message that says Jesus is alive. And Jesus, if there is just one that would be here today that does not know, does not believe, God, I pray in their heart right now, they would just whisper to you, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I confess you as my God. I believe that you are alive As we worship, come and celebrate communion, giving thanks. Jesus, we give thanks that you are alive. We celebrate that and we give you thanks.